Genesis chapter 1, starting from verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it be separate, let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding, yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let, let, let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God cr created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, 
and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Well, a big thank you to everyone who has uh, led and served us uh, in whatever way, whether up front or in tech, and welcoming and greeting and so on. Now, when you come to a passage like this in the Bible, there's a million ways you can go with it. The question I've been asking uh, all week is, why did God, through Moses, the writer, write it? What's it for? What's it for? Now, there are parts or places in Scripture and big theological truths that really give you confidence uh, to navigate through this life as a Christian. What would they be? The uh, incarnation of Jesus Christ, that he came to dwell among us on the earth. The death of Jesus Christ to forgive our sins. Or as we will celebrate... Um, on Easter Sunday, and uh, we'll even allow ourselves on Thursday and Friday to look over 
to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection for me and for many Christians of Jesus Christ from the dead is a huge, huge confidence giver that everything else is true. Not least because it vindicates his death and it defeats the last and the unanswerable enemy of humanity, which is death. Now let me add to the incarnation of Christ, the fact that he lived on the earth, with all the evidence that points to who he is, let me add to that and to the cross and to the resurrection of Jesus Christ one more massive confidence boost. Whatever realm of issue we face on a global scale as humans or at an individual level in our ordinary lives, the fact that the God that we worship created the universe and the earth and humanity. And suddenly, our conception of God, we, we cannot, in human terms and in human categories, encompass how great and powerful and majestic and sovereign um, he is. When Freddie read the passage, that little phrase almost took him by surprise, and the stars, and the stars, and the stars. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that as we come to this passage of Scripture tonight, and it is a, a marvelous passage, that you would really help us understand not simply what it says, but why it is here and why we are blessed to meditate on these things. Lord, if we are Christians, and many of us are, reflecting on the fact that you created this world and humanity gives us great confidence that you will redeem this world and humanity. A process that is up and running through Jesus Christ. And Lord, if we're not Christians, if we're not yet alive to God through the indwelling Spirit, if we do not yet know Jesus Christ as my Savior in an intimate, real, and personal way. Lord, will you either lead us to begin to search for salvation as we contemplate that you created all of this, or will you lead us to Jesus Christ, the Creator God, for our salvation as we contemplate your majesty and your power. Lord, we'll learn tonight from this portion of Scripture that as a creator God, you create, you bring 
to life. You bring order out of chaos through your word. And here we are in your word. And your word is being proclaimed. So will you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, create, bring life, bring renewal and transformation, comfort and hope to every soul who is listening to you as you speak through your word tonight. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, just to say for some strange reason, Genesis 1, verse 1, is on page 2 of my Bible. Um, so it was right that you were given the page number in case you were confused. Um, please have the Bible open in front of you, if you can, and also the notes on the service sheet. Now, they're quite long and elaborate tonight, and the only reason for that is that I often find on Sunday evenings uh, my eyes dripping. Maybe you don't. Uh, and also, I want to put a lot of the stuff down on print so that we can really uh, get our heads around the application of this, what it means uh, for us. So, let's begin by getting our bearings in Genesis. What that means is uh, asking the question of this book and of this chapter, like we do of any book, why is it here? So what's the purpose of Genesis? Now, Genesis, along with Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament scriptures, known as the Torah, that's just a word to describe the first five books, were written by Moses for God's people, written very near the end of their journey to the promised land. Moses did not lead them into the promised land. Joshua did. But Moses wrote this just, just as they were about to enter the promised land. And the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, were written to give God's people then confidence that he will save them that he will bring them to the promised land. And that was an important message for the first readers of Genesis, that God would bring them to the promised land of Israel. And it remained an important message to God's people right throughout history. And it remains an important message for us as Christians. Way down the centuries, after millennia of salvation history, that God will bring us with all God's people to the new creation, to a restored, perfect creation. And the purpose of these foundational chapters, these foundational Bible books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, is to give God's people confidence. So what is the specific contribution of Genesis? What's the purpose of Genesis within that 
confidence-giving, overarching purpose of the Torah. To give God's people confidence that He will save them by telling the story of how He has begun to do that. That makes sense? So to give God's people confidence that He will save them by telling the story of how He created humanity, how humanity rebelled, and then of His grace and His mercy. Somebody asked me this week what grace meant. Grace means undeserved mercy. Where do you see grace bursting into human history right after humanity's rebellion? Genesis tells the story of God's grace in calling a people through succeeding generations. And for God's people then as they journey towards the promised land, what confidence it would have given them to read of their own inclusion in the story. And what confidence it gives us that so are we. Now, don't let that phrase just bypass you if you are a Christian believer. Don't let something like that just enter your head and disappear out of your head without entering your heart and your will. That you and I as Christians are part of this unfolding story of God calling a people to himself, the beginning of which and the first few generations of which are told in Genesis. A story that unfolds through the whole of human history, encompassing us as Christians sitting here or listening tonight with Christians all over the world. We are part of this story. Now, the purpose of Genesis is reflected in the structure of Genesis. Genesis is divided into 10 sections. The chapter divisions in our Bibles, there are 50 of them. They're just added by translation editors so that we can navigate our way around. That's, they're not part of the Hebrew text. How do we know Genesis divided into 10 sections? Because there's a repeated phrase through the book that signals the start of a new section. And it, rather than take you through it, I've set them out on the sheet so you can uh, see it. Just, uh, just glance at that. The first section begins, just look at that in your Bible, chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Then just flick forward to chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. One more. 6, 9. These are the generations of Noah. And that kind of pattern repeats all through the book. Ten sections. And the structure is crystal clear. It's just how it is. It's not ambiguous. That's how it is. And 
There are 10 sections, each telling about uh, one particular bit of the unfolding uh, generation-to-generation story of God gathering a people to himself. And right at the heart of Genesis is an extended section which is all about Abraham and the promise to him. We are part of that promise. Which brings us to the opening of the book from chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 3. Now, with the structure of the book in our minds, chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 3, what is it? Well, I want to suggest to it, to us, it's a, a prologue, or a, a, not a preface. A preface means that it's a kind of waggling on the T, gentle we in. Here's a definition of a prologue. Quote, a prologue is used to highlight for readers important information that impacts the whole plot. A prologue is included at the front as the first matter for very good reason. It is fundamental to everything else that follows. So what is the prologue in Genesis about? What is the prologue about before the story of how God creates redeems, humanities, builds a people to himself that we are included in way down through the millennia. What is the prologue in Genesis about? It's about the creator God and his creation. Now, is the fact that God is the creator and that he created everything fundamental to everything else Absolutely. What do we need to know to give us confidence in everything God says, in everything God promises? What do we need to know to give us absolute confidence in God that He is the Creator God? The purpose of the prologue in Genesis to give God's people confidence that he will save them because he is the creator God. Now, let's turn to the prologue and look at it in some more uh, detail. And uh, the summary of the prologue, the actual content, not the application, the application is to give us confidence that uh, he will save us because he is the creator God, confidence in every promise he makes because he is the creator God. And if tonight you are at rock bottom or uh, on the edge of the cliff or struggling or doubting or fearful or assailed by all manner of stuff flying at you in your life as a Christian, God is the creator God. And the God who made the stars will get you through. And I know there's someone listening online tonight because they're too sick to be here. And you need to know and God's word to you tonight is that God is the creator God. It's powerful. So the somewhat clumsy title I've given is that God, through his word, creates his 
perfect creation. God, through his word, creates his perfect uh, creation. You can see it on the sheep. Let's uh, just focus on the first half of that. Uh, God, through his word, creates. God dominates these verses. The name God appears 35 times. There's a simple application. Does God dominate the life of our church? Does God dominate our lives? Are we so caught up with God and his power? Are we so aware of that, that all the plans and things that we do and the issues we face in our life are so fundamentally underneath that and underpinned by that? God dominates Genesis 1. God dominates the Bible. God dominates, but don't hear that word pejoratively. He controls. He is sovereign over all things. Now, I want you to see, and we'll just go slow here, and we'll track this through the passage, that it's through his word that God creates. How did God bring the world into being? Now, if you go back to what is not yet explained, there's some kind of event or how do you create something out of nothing or how do you create order out of chaos? God did not click his fingers. He did not will the creation into being. He spoke. That's what it says. Just look with me. Verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was. Verse 6, God said, let there be an expanse, and there was. Verse 7, God made the expanse. Verse 9, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered. Verse 11, verse 14, 20, 24, 26, God said. God spoke. God creates through his word. Now that means that God creates through speaking. God is a speaking God. His speaking is purposeful. It creates. And it's not more complicated than it sounds. God said and there was. Now, on the sheet, I've given you a couple of New Testament references just to apply this into our life as a church and our stage on this uh, journey to the new creation. Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 2, we've been in Hebrews. Uh, long ago, we were in Hebrews 1. Uh, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. How did God bring about creation? By speaking. How did God speak to his people and speak to the world through history? 
Firstly, in what we have as the scriptures of the Old Testament. That's what it means when it says God spoke to us through the prophets. And then it says, but now God has spoken to us through his Son. That doesn't mean to say primarily, I think, what Jesus actually said. Well, it does. It, it, what it means is that God has spoken to us through his Son as his Son, who reigns, has inspired the apostles, to write the New Testament scriptures. So how has God spoken to his people through all of history? Through the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures, and through his son, the Lord Jesus, who inspired the apostles in the New Testament scriptures. That is how God speaks. Now, by his Spirit, he applies that word in all sorts of ways. It's not that we're text-bound in a forensic way, but we're bound to the Bible because that is how God speaks. And it's powerful. How powerful? Well, the God who created the world by speaking is the God who inspired the written word to be spoken. So right now, as God's word is spoken and preached, it is possible, probable, that someone is converted to Christ, or someone is changed and transformed, or God speaks right into your life and into your heart in a remarkably personal and powerful way because God speaks and God creates by speaking. Now, one more passage, 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 4, 2. The Scriptures, Old and New Testament, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God, who is to judge the living and the dead, preach the word. Now, one of the, the challenges we, we often face as a church is how how are people converted? How are they changed? Is it not just explaining the gospel to them or, or living the gospel out before them? All of that is vital. But when you take Genesis with these passages, it convinces us that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, when they are taught, when they are read publicly, when they are read one-to-one, -one, when they are... Uh, proclaimed, which is what I'm doing now. I'm just sitting in the text of Scripture, just kind of unloading it and getting us to think about it. When that happens, we are on the ground that God says creates. And it's so countercultural, and it's so, it's no longer the silver bullet in the church. But it's what God says brings order out of chaos.
proclaiming his word. Big W, the Bible, is how God speaks today, still. And we've got to believe that and hold on to that truth and trust it. And I hope and pray that tonight, in some remarkable way, God will prove to us that is true. And next week, I'll be able to tell you how. Now, God through his word, creates what, in Genesis 1, his perfect uh, creation. Now, you, uh, one, of my, uh, one of my colleagues, Roger, is a man of diagrams, but, uh, and, and uh, he uses diagrams brilliantly. He's uh, given me the confidence to, to try one here, uh, because when you get something kind of complex, uh, there are brilliant ways to explain something, especially 26 minutes in on an evening when we're a bit sleepy. So, God through his word creates his perfect creation. I want you to notice first just the literary style of Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3, and that came through as, as Freddie read it. In verse 1, there are three nouns. Um, you know, this is all true. Just get a flavor of this. Uh, God, heavens, and earth. God, heavens, and earth, three nouns. Each of these nouns is repeated in multiples of... Oh, I, I did read this in a Bible commentary. I'm going to read it out because it's true and it makes the point. Uh, each of these three nouns is repeated in multiples of seven throughout the chapter. So the name God appears 35 times. That's five times seven. Heaven, 21 times. Three times seven. Earth, 21 times. Three times Seven, okay? Uh, don't start counting, just take my word for it. In the original Hebrew text, verse 1 consists of seven words. In the Hebrew text, the seventh paragraph describing the seventh day consists of three sentences of seven words. And you think, well, so what? It's a highly patterned text constructed around sequences of seven the number seven in the Bible is symbolic. It speaks of God's perfection. And so this creation hymn or poem or uh, song or however you want to describe it is linguistically a perfect construction because creation is a perfect creation. That's the point that's being uh, made. And uh, another feature of the highly patterned prose is the repetition of key phrases like, and God said, let there be. And God said, let there be. And so if you uh, were to sing this or to read it or to uh, learn it, you would, um, you would be aided in your learning by the repeated refrain, let there be and there was, it was good, let there be and it was, it was good, let there be and it was, it was very good. So it's perfect. Perfectly constructed prose because the creation is perfect. Now, 
look at another striking feature of this patent text, and getting this in my head has helped me understand the author's intent in these verses. That's a little diagram on the back page of the service sheet. Verse 1 functions as a general heading, an overarching principle that is fleshed out in what follows. In the beginnings, God created the heavens and the earth, the universe, if you like, that's fleshed out in what follows. Verse 2 describes an initial creation of the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void or empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We don't have time to look at this. Father, Son, and Spirit, right there in creation. Father, Son, and Spirit, all at creation. We'll get to that next week when God said, let us, Father, Son, and Spirit, make humanity in our image. So verse 2 is an initial creation. The initial creation had no shape. The earth was without form, and it had no inhabitants. It was void.